Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading Short and Deep, The Thing in the Forest by Bernard Capes, uh, probably first published in 1915. Um, it's kind of a fairy tale. It's only about six and a half minutes long, so I'm going to read it for us. Good. I'm going to lie down in bed, and uh, maybe with any luck at all, Grandma, you'll put me to sleep. <laughs> Foreshadowing. All right. <laughs> Into the snow-locked forests of Upper Hungary steal wolves in winter, but there is a footfall worse than theirs to knock upon the heart of the lonely traveller. One December evening, Elspeth, the young newly-wedded wife of the woodman Stefan, came hurrying over the lower slopes of the White Mountains from the town where she had been all day marketing. She carried a basket with provisions on her arm. Her plump cheeks were like a couple of cold apples. Her breath spoke short, but from the nervousness, but more from nervous than, nervousness than exhaustion. It was nearing dusk, and she was glad to see the little lonely church in the hollow below, the hub, as it were, of the many radiating paths through the trees, one of which was the road to her own warm cottage yet half a mile away. She paused a moment at the foot of the slope, undecided about entering the little chill, silent building and making her plea for protection to the great battered stone image of Our Lady of Succor, which stood within by the confessional box. But the stillness and the growing darkness decided her, and she went on. A spark of fire glowing through the presbytery window seemed to repel rather than attract her, and she was glad when the convolutions of the path hid it from her sight. Being new to the district, she had seen very little of Father Rule as yet, and somehow the penetrating knowledge and the burning eyes of the pastor made her feel uncomfortable. The soft drift, the lane of tall, motionless pines stretched out on in a quiet like death. Somewhere the sun, like a dead fire, had fallen into opalescent embers, faintly luminous. They were enough only to touch the shadows with a ghastlier pallor. It was so still that the light crunch in the snow of the girl's own footfalls trod on her heart like a desecration. Suddenly, there was something near her that had not been before. It had come like a shadow, without more sound or warning. It was here, there, behind her. She turned in mortal panic and saw a wolf. With a strangled cry and trembling limbs, she strove to hurry on her way, and always she knew though there was no whisper of pursuit, that the gliding shadow followed in her wake. Desperate in her terror, she stopped once more and faced it. A wolf? Was it a wolf? Oh, who could doubt it? Yet the wild expression in those famished eyes, so lost, so pitiful, so mingled of insatiable hunger and human need, condemned for its unspeakable sins to take this form with the sunset, and so howl and snuffle about the doors of men until the blessed day released it. A werewolf, not a wolf. The terrific realization of the truth smote the girl as with a knife out of the darkness. For an instant she came near fainting, and then a low moan broke into her heart and flooded it with pity. So lost, so infinitely hopeless, and so pitiful, yes, in spite of it all, so pitiful. It had sinned, 
beyond any sinning that her innocence knew or her experience could gauge. But she was a woman, very blessed, very happy, in her store of comforts and her surety of love. She knew that it was forbidden to succor those, uh, these damned and nameless outcasts to help or sympathize with them in any way, but there was good store of meat in her basket, and who need ever know or tell? With shaking hands she found, a th- found and threw a sop to the desolate brute, then turning sped upon her way. But at home her secret sin stood upon her, stood up before her, and interposing between her husband and herself, threw its shadow upon both their faces. What had she dared, what done, but by her own act fortified her birthright of innocence, by her own act placed herself in the power of the evil to which she had ministered. All the night she lay in shame and horror, and all the next day, until Stefan had come about his dinner and gone again, she moved in dumb agony. Then, driven unendurably by the memory of his troubled, bewildered face, as twilight threatened, she put on her cloak and went down to the little church in the hollow to confess her sin. "'Mother, forgive me and save me,' she whispered as she passed the statue." After ringing the bell for the confessor, she had not knelt long at the confessional box in the dim chapel, cold and empty as a waiting vault, when the chancel rail clicked and the footsteps of Father Rule were heard rustling over the stones. He came, he took the seat behind the grating, and with many sighs and falterings, Elspeth avowed her guilt. And as with bowed head she ended a strange sound, she ended a strange sound answered her it was like a little laugh and yet not so much like a laugh as a snarl with a shock as of death she raised her face it was father rule who sat there and yet it was not father rule in that time of twilight his face was already changing narrowing becoming wolfish the eyes rounded and the jaws slavered she gasped and shrunk back and at that barking and snapping at the grating with a wicked look he dropped and she heard him coming sheer horror lent her wings with a scream she sprang to her feet and fled her cloak caught in something there was a wrench and a crash like a flood oblivion overswept her it was the old deaf and near senile saint Christen who found them lying there the woman unhurt but insensible the priest crushed out of life by the fall of the ancient statue long tottering to its collapse she recovered for her part for his no one knows where he lies buried but there were dark stories of a bang pack that night and of an empty blood-stained pavement when they came back to seek for the body Well, what do you think? It's Little Red Riding Hood, kind of. Except Little Red Riding Hood has a husband instead of a uh, grandma. No, no, it's her mother who sends her into the woods to take provisions to the grandmother. Right. Um, Yeah, it's very much like Little Red Riding Hood. I think... Uh, one of the reasons that I enjoy this story 
is that I'm running a constant contrast and comparison with Little Red Riding Hood. Mm -hmm. um, in Little Red Riding Hood, um, the wolf says, "Where are you posting in such you know su such speed to uh, to Red as she's off to bring provisions to her grandmother?" And please look at how beautiful the flowers are. And then she goes out and she gathers the flowers. In the Grimm Brothers version, it says that she gathers them until her arms could hold no more. So she is seduced into seeking pleasure, aesthetic pleasure. Flowers are pretty, but they are also the sex organs of plants mm -hmm. uh, until it is physically impossible for her to have more. By contrast, here we have someone who is coming back with provisions because she's traded for them at the market. She's got meat. And instead of bringing the cakes and wine to grandma, we have Elspeth who is going to take pity on the wolf himself and give him meat. Uh, she remains uh, meta chaste that is in the sense that she doesn't have illicit sexual relations. So there's the chastity of the virgin who has just reached um, Menarch, you know, the Red Riding Hood. And there's the chastity of the incredibly happy new bride. And we know that she's still chaste because the story refers to her as innocent, which can't mean that she hasn't had sex because she's already happy in her married life. But she's innocent in that all of her sexual relations are licit, not illicit. So she uh, there are two varieties of chastity that we can compare and contrast between Little Red Riding Hood and the thing in the forest. So in one, we see Red going toward giving away the provisions. In the other, we see Elspeth coming back from gaining provisions Um Elspeth voluntarily gives the meat to the wolf as uh, Red has voluntarily gathered up the flowers. One crucial difference, I think, between the, the girl and the, the, the wife is that the girl is pleasing herself, whereas the wife is actually responsive to the need of someone else. That is, she sees in the wolf, the werewolf, that he has an insatiable hunger. He is not happy to be a monster, she understands, even though he has no choice but to be monstrous. And so she tries to satisfy him. Interestingly, when she is coming back from having seen him from, from the, the market, she sees Father Rule's church. She has not yet met Father Rule. She sees the church and there is some spark in it that distresses her. It's almost like the virgin who tames the unicorn, you know, that she has a preternatural ability to, to see what is good and what is evil. Um, and she, she shies away from the evil to go back to the good, which is uh, the home with her husband, Stefan, which by the way is a word that means crown. Um, Elspeth is a name. It's Elizabeth. Uh, comes from the Hebrew, um, Elisheva. And it's either God is my oath or God is abundance, both of which seem to be applicable to Elspeth. So she goes away from the church, right? Um, and the statue, the much battered statue, mm -hmm. Our Lady of Succor. And you have to wonder how has this statue been battered? What has been the problem? Mm -hmm. Oh, 
it may be, you know, that society does not pay enough attention to the Virgin Mary. But it also may be that uh, that uh, Father Rule uh, has been bat- battering it, you know, pawing mm-hmm. it. Um, Rule, by the way, um, comes from uh, Norse roots, um, Radolf, uh, and the Ulfer ending means wolf. So um, somebody who would say, oh, well, this is a Central European name, and he he is named Father Wolf, um, if if one knows what's going on behind there. Stefan is uh, crown. And so Elspeth wants to avoid Father Wolf and therefore does not get to pray to Our Lady of Succor, um, but then goes back to Stefan. However, there is the shadow of a sin between them. Yeah, this is very mysterious to me, and I want I want your. Uh, I think she's feeling that. I think another story that this reminds me of quite strongly um, is Hawthorne's Young Goodman Brown, where the 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 new husband who has had such ecstasy in the 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 moral purity, beauty, uh, delight of his new wife. Um, it has either a dream or uh, an out-of-body experience or, or sleepwalking. He, he winds up off in the woods um, outside the small um, New England town that they live in. And there he sees all of the elders of the, of the, the town having a satanic celebration at which Satan himself comes and his wife is out there. She is to be the the new bride of Satan and a sacrifice to him. Um, he goes crazy and goes running back through the woods to get home, um, crying, faith, faith, where is my faith? He's hoping that that's his wife's name. He will find her really at home, not out in the woods. But as he's running along, down from the sky, flutters the pink ribbon that he has known is in her hair. Now, what Hawthorne then does is have have our young goodman, uh, meaning uh, young husband, look around his town. And he's never able to ask people, was that real? Did that really happen? Are all you people really enthralled to the (laughs) devil? And he doesn't have the courage to say this to his wife because he's afraid what the answer may be. So in the daylight... He wants to hold on to his faith, but he is fearful that at night, everyone, everyone has these dark urges which frighten him terribly. And so he's silent about it. This is a great story from the, the, I believe, early 1840s. Um, It seems to me that what's going on here in The Thing in the Forest, when it says that the sin fell between them, Mm -hmm. it is her consciousness of what she has done by giving meat to the wolf. That just as Red gathers the flowers to serve her own interests, she, because she cannot resist manifesting her compassion, she offers succor, and that's the word Mm -hmm. that's used, she offers succor to the werewolf. Then she goes to the church, having felt this problematic sin between herself and her crown, her husband, Stefan, 
and she prays to Our Lady of Succor and then goes to make confession where, in fact, she's met by Father Rule. And when the viewpoint switches from being third person, but limited through her viewpoint to third person omniscient, you know, and the old deaf and near senile sacristan found them. Well, he didn't know he's deaf. That's important because mm-hmm. otherwise he would have heard what's going on. What he finds is the priest that was crushed by the ancient statue. So in effect, Little Red Riding Hood is released because the hunter somehow gets the idea that uh, she might be alive in the wolf's stomach. But she does get eaten first. Here we have a different kind of chastity. The chastity is much more carnal. And indeed, she gives meat to the wolf. Mm-hmm. And, and, and she's right. You know, like, like the virgin who contained the, the unicorn, we see that Elspeth, she is right in keeping away from this church. She is uh, uh, innocent and and disturbed by the stain on her innocence that she recognizes as a sin, a shadow of a sin, not a sin, but a shadow of a sin that falls between her and her husband. So when she goes and prays to Our Lady of Succor, she's praying to another, you know, lady of succor. And that lady, Mary, is also a mother, although virgin. And so she combines both aspects that we see in Elspeth, who is innocent, although married. And by falling down and killing the priest, Our Lady of Succor saves her life, saves Elspeth's life. In other words, as Mary is an intercessor to whom people will pray for forgiveness, Mary, the Virgin Mary, has in fact given Elspeth what she wants, forgiveness. Now, from a Christian viewpoint, what this means is she has known sin, but she is now absolved of it and is innocent again, without stain again. So like Little Red Riding Hood, she is returned to life. But unlike Little Red Riding Hood, who still is going to have to learn to negotiate sexuality, Elspeth had already learned to negotiate sexuality. She's happy in her married life. Now what she has to learn is that although sins can be forgiven, one needs to understand that giving in to desires, even the desire to help someone who is suffering, may itself sometimes be sinful. This time, however, her, her, her patron, Our Lady of Succor, has been sympathetic to Elspeth's own sin and forgiven her. It's the descent of grace with the descent of the statue. I, I'm not a Catholic, but um, I, Bernard Capes was Catholic, and this is uh, very tied up in Catholicism. You know the imagery and the fact that there's a priest there, a man without a a wife, um, but it, it isn't straightforward. You know, uh, go to the church and confess your sins because the guy you're confessing to is a werewolf, right? The fact that he is a predator is in there from the very beginning. And this is very sexualized uh, uh, under, uh, under, just under the surface of everything in this story is sexuality and um, kind of, yeah, the illicit and the illicit. But 
the the line that first strikes me as as uh, her being you know why is she not going to the to the church to to pray to the statue the first time I want to read that again it goes like this being new to the district she had seen very little of Father Rule as yet and somehow the penetrating knowledge and burning eyes of the pastor made her feel uncomfortable <laughs> she she saw from the from the hub of the road, which again a really interesting image, right of uh, the forest and there's a, these paths radiating out from it. One of them going to her home, one of them going to the church and the presbytery. A spark of fire glowing through the presbytery window, and it seemed to repel rather than attract her. She wants to go home to her own warm cottage, but. She sees the spark in the window. To me, that's that's the uh, the priest looking out at her, and you know, this is a, uh, werewolf is a particularly you know like they're they want meat, right? They're not you know sort of um, they're not monsters in the same way as Dracula is a monster. He's a savage. So when she looks at the window and sees that spark, um, she knows something's wrong. She can't put words to it, but the description of his knowledge as being penetrating, um, this is like he's a priest. He should know. I should do what he says. There's a real criticism here, I think, of of the church and how you know having that intermediary in there is maybe not a good thing. So I, I can't speak as to what Capes was was um, thinking exactly, but it, it, it's incredibly Catholic, and he, he seems to have a criticism here. But this is also a criticism, I think, of, of just men as predators. Um, at the time, I, I was reading this week, um, at, the, at the time this story was written, a little before and a little after, there were... Um, women would gift their daughters hat pins, you know, ostensibly to keep their hats on because they have big hair that they put under their hat and they put the hat pin through, but actually as defensive weapons so that people on uh, in public, uh, men in public, wouldn't um, see them as victims as much as uh, they had their own defenses. The hat pin was a weapon to be used to stab mashers. Um, here, she doesn't have any such weapon. She gives and is saved by uh, her prayers. But in real life, I don't think that's going to stop a werewolf. The prayers aren't going to stop a werewolf. So, no, but, but a good hefty stone statue of the Virgin Mary. Man. It absolutely will. Um, absolutely well. The the fact that it's it is battered seems to be some sort. I mean, there's a lot of underlying stuff in here, and I just think it's very rich for such a short story. Um, I agree. I think if you take a look, as you've been doing at at specific words like the word penetrate, but we can see that the capes is is really thinking this through with great care. Um, her own act, by her own act, uh, Elspeth right. recognizes 
that she had forfeited her birthright of innocence. So there's two kinds of innocence. There's innocence that you're born with, and then there's the innocence that you can have as a chaste wife, that is a wife who has sex, but within the marriage. So marriage for a Catholic is a sacrament. It goes, it again, starts you up fresh. She had acted, she had forfeited her birthright of innocence by her own act, placed herself in the power of the evil that's the father, uh, the priest, to which she had ministered. Now, what we have in that word ministered, rather than to which she had sympathized or whatever, right? that word ministered tells us that the official church may have an official mm-hmm. priest, right? but the real church and the real ministration Um, come from people whose hearts are innocent and come from people whose hearts are sympathetic. So, indeed, I think you're right that Capes is Catholic, but he is not suggesting that the church as an institution is infallible, quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. He's saying that the church, when it is doing what it should do, is manifesting the the life and the the attributes— of the Virgin, um, they are. It is motherly. It is both sexual and still innocent. It is protective. It is forgiving. And I, I would point out that the story is placed in what's called Northern Upper Hungary. Mm-hmm. If you take a look at upper at the map, uh, Upper Hungary, the northern part of Hungary, um, uh, Upper Hungary actually um, at its eastern border. Um, is shares a, a frontier with Romania, and the easternmost part of Upper Hungary is actually quite, 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 quite close to Transylvania. Yep. Right. And then Dracula is published to great acclaim. It's an enormous bestseller. It becomes put on the stage and so on. In 1897, um, this is a 1915 story by an English writer. He can't. Who he didn't start really writing until he was in his 40s, I guess. So it can't be that this guy doesn't know about Dracula and the mythology that Stoker creates about um, wolves and shape-shifting and Transylvania and moonlight. And this is an area of the country, I mean of the world, in which, or I should say, this is an area of Christendom in which people actually worship icons. That is, the word icon meaning exact, true, right? It's not just, it doesn't just look like something. An icon is something in which the, the God actually inheres. Just as a, a devout Catholic believes in transubstantiation, that the wine and the wafer truly are the body and the blood and the body of Jesus. A, a committed Orthodox Christian in these realms believe that if you worship the picture or the statue of, say, Jesus or Mary, you will, in fact, be worshiping really Mary and really Jesus. So this is not just a convenient statue that fell over. In this part of the world, the Transylvania part of the world, this, uh, you know, Dracula part of the world, this place where werewolves are real in the mind of the English— This is a place where that is Mary, 
who sacrifices herself by falling off her pedestal to help some earthly individual who has been herself a minister to a poor sinner in need. The, uh, the title and the first line, I think, are worth going over one more time. The thing in the forest. That is to be determined, right? What what is the thing? Is it the? I mean, when she says, when she says what it is, it's a wolf. No, not a wolf. It's here, there, everywhere. It's behind her, right? Um. Well, she just passed the presbytery. She didn't go to the presbytery. In fact, she hurried on her way, and out from it came the priest, the thing, not the man, not the, not the the father, right? the thing and then that the line uh, the first line is uh, again sort of offset from the rest of the story into the snow-locked forest of upper hungary steel wolves in winter well that's bad but there is a footfall worse than theirs to knock upon the heart of the lonely traveler um this is not you know it's it's terrible to get eaten by wolves sure but it's perhaps worse to be defiled by your priest yeah, making explicit what's 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 in this story. It's it's uh, terrific that he turns it into a fairy tale because it can get past all your defenses, right? It she is literally. I mean, it doesn't say she has a red cloak. She has a cloak, but her cheeks are cold. A couple of cold apples, right? Um, in my drawing of it, I've turned her into Little Red Riding Hood, and and the priest uh, is not a priest. He's a a wolf but a wolf without a tail, right? Just a snarling mm-hmm. beast on the all fours. It's um, it's very good at getting past defenses. So uh, I think this is a powerful story in just three pages. It is. Let, let me add one more small thing that, that may be uh, relevant for a Catholic audience that would not be as well known by most Protestants and certainly uh, by those who hadn't studied Christianity at all. And that is that Her husband, Stefan, who is the crown of her life, um, which is what the word means, her husband, Stefan, has been happy, but the shadow of a sin falls upon Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Now, this sin is motivated, it turns out, it turns out is motivated by sympathy, by a desire to minister to the the sinful. Well, it turns out that St. Stephen, St. Stephen, is the first martyr that is in in roman catholic tradition saint stephen is called the proto-martyr he is the first the first martyr um he's the one we see pictured with all of the uh, uh well it doesn't matter so he is the first martyr and it this story in a way suggests that martyrdom arises by a love for not the church as an institution, but the sympathy that the church shows in ministering to others. And indeed, if that draws his wife away from him, that's where his suffering comes from, not from the evil, but from, in fact, an, ex- an excess of goodness. It, it makes the church and church history uh, something which is never violent except in the service of the kind. 
it is, and I mean this word advisedly, a graceful story. But there's always more to say. <laughs>